Hello, everyone. Hi there, guys. This is Amanda. This is Rita. You're listening to... I Don't Know Her. The podcast where you talk about women you've probably never heard of. But you should have. And now you will. There we go. Nice and tight. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to make a really bad joke, but I won't. I'll save our listeners. (laughs) I'm talking about vaginas. (laughs) So, Amanda, what's the what's the story you got for me today? Do you ever watch America's Got Talent? Uh, here and there, but not not weekly. Yeah, it's but not, I know the premise. Yeah, it's not like on my top ten list. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this year they hired Gabrielle Union to come on as one of the judges, and I believe that she had been initially signed to like a three year contract. Whoa! Um, but she was let go. So Gabby Union took to Twitter to talk about what it was that actually happened with regards to her position on America's Got Talent. So she said basically that she went to them with problems concerning some sexist and racist things that had happened on set. Really? And they fired her for it. Oh, because she told the truth? Yep. And again, she didn't initially come out in the media to talk about it. She went to the producers or whatever first. Yeah. And then they got upset with what she had to say. Did she say what the situation was? She did. Um, There were a couple, I think two incidents that I remember in particular that she talked about. One had something to do with Jay Leno Hmm. making some sexist jokes on set. And another one had to do with one of the performers I think it had something to do with like they performed with their hands and um, when they were doing an impression of a black person put black gloves on. Ugh. Yeah. And it was a little black facey, That's but for fucky. hands. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was, it was after she brought, and I think specifically the stuff with Jay Leno that really ruffled feathers and they were like, you can go now. Wow. So since then, she has, you know, been very honest on Twitter and in other media forums about what happened and what led to her leaving the show. Mm -hmm. And you can read up on that all over the place. But the reason I'm talking about it today is because we need to crown a new queen of caucasity. Crown is ready. (laughs) So now that you have that background. Okay. I'm going to share with you what Heidi Klum, fellow judge, had to say. Okay. Uh, She said, I've only had an amazing experience on the show. I can't speak for Gabrielle. I didn't experience the same thing. And to me, everyone treats you with the utmost respect. And then she said, a lot of people got mad at me. I was called, for example, a white woman. She added, I think it's important for everyone to speak their truth. I think that when there's a story, it should be told. I had a different story. I can only speak to what I saw. It has nothing to do with, with, with what color I am. I am a human, so I just looked at what I saw. Oh. I was called, for example, a, a white, white woman. woman. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you guys, there are people who get very upset when you call them white. Really? <laughs> do you not know this is a thing? It's a thing. It's a thing now? It's especially a thing on the internet. Hmm. Like, being called white in and itself is an insult. Really? 
It's not, obviously. No. But yeah, she's like, I was called a white woman. (laughs) (laughs) And like, okay, nobody's asking you for that point of view when you're commenting on what happened to your coworker where she was fired for standing her ground and saying, I don't, this happened, you know? Yeah. And there was actually, there was something else about how, um, somebody had said something to Gabby about her hair Mm -hmm. that she was looking too black. Oh my God. Yeah. That her hairstyles were too black. Wow. I mean, it was, that's terrible. It sounded pretty damn toxic. Yeah. And it takes a lot of guts and courage to go out and say something to someone about the behavior that you're seeing at Mm -hmm. the moment you know, we've both been in situations where we've seen something that was inappropriate and we wanted to go forward to our bosses or whoever mm-hmm. and say, hey, this happened and I'm not okay with it. But like the amount of times you actually do it versus the amount of times you see it happen, that's vastly different. Yeah. I mean, I have definitely seen things that I've just never told anybody about and I should have, but mm. didn't because I just couldn't. For whatever reason, I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel like it, I was doing the right thing or it wasn't the right time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it says a lot about her. Like, this was a big contract for her. Yeah. And she lost it because she was being true. And for me, that situation is so, it's it's devastating, not just for her, but for other women, because then we see that happen and it's another chip taken off of of our ladder because now we know, well, that fear is there. And maybe if I say something, I'll get fired too. You know, she's a beautiful movie star yep. and she lost her job. What's going to happen to me? And I think you're getting at something. I think that's really particularly stupid about what Heidi Klum is saying beyond her. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe I was called a white woman. <laughs> Stupidity. There's yeah. also this like, I mean, maybe that happened to her, but who knows? It's never happened to me. That's so gaslighty. Yeah. Like you you can't do that. Like, don't do that. And you know who else did that to her? Who? Terry Crews. Terry Crews, the football player? No, he's not a football player. He's an actor. I mean, he looks like he could be a football player because he's okay. super jacked. Okay, maybe that's... But he was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. <gasps> yes, yes, okay. Yeah, and you know what I just recalled... Um, that the thing that she got mad at Jay Leno about was actually a homophobic remark. Really? Yeah. But I think that like, so Heidi Klum is a fellow woman who's like selling her out. Yeah. And then we have Terry Crews, who's fellow, a fellow African American who's selling her out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, (sighs) well, I guess I'll shut up now. (laughs) Yeah. This, there was no solidarity with her on that set. And it's like, I get it. You all want to keep your jobs. But like, you know, at the end of the day, when you're lying on your deathbed, that money's not going to keep you warm. No. And also the mentality, especially in Hollywood, of the put up and shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't stir the water. Oh, he said a little something. So what? Get over it. Yeah. Nothing's going to change if no one speaks up. And then when somebody does speak up, you got to stick together. Like yeah. You can't. I don't know. And he and he said exactly the same thing Heidi Klum said, except about race. I've only had really wonderful experiences. No one's ever been racist to me and I've never seen anything racist. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. (laughs) I know. 
it is so <laughs> gaslighty. Like, just because you particularly didn't experience it or see it, which I don't necessarily know if I buy, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And maybe you should just kindly shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like, if you haven't been the one experiencing it or witnessing it, then just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. You don't need to speak on someone else's experience. It reminds me of a little bit of high school when when things would happen to like other girls around me and like, oh, well, she's not pretty enough. He'd never do that to her. Oh, he's such a nice guy. He he went to camp with my brother. He's a really nice person. Mm-hmm. Mm, no. <laughs> yeah. Your experience of someone is not someone else's experience with exactly. them. Well, Heidi Klum, here is your crown. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week, you are the current reigning queen Queen of of caucasity. (laughs) Actually, next week is our 50th episode. It is. It's our potiversary again. (laughs) (laughs) And we did um, something completely different for our 50th. So I hope you guys enjoy it. If you don't, let us know. We won't do it again. (laughs) But we did try. Who cares? It's our podcast. We did try something different, and um, we hope you enjoy it. We thought it was pretty fun. You'll get to hear from the infamous Lucas, Lucas. <laughs> which will be interesting for everybody to hear. <laughs> we had some fun. It was awesome. We did. We had some fun. And we hope you have some fun listening to it. Yeah. Well, should we get down to it? I think so. Yeah. So Amanda's first today. I am. Have you ever heard of Manon Realm? No, I don't know her. I keep torturing myself with French names. <laughs> She's going to nail everyone. <laughs> I have so many pronunciation guides on this one. I'm going to get it. I like it. <laughs> she was an Olympic medalist and the first woman to play in any of the major North American professional sports leagues. Oh, mm-hmm. North America. Mm-hmm. Period. Oh, the entire continent. Yeah. That's <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yes, and when we talk about the major sports leagues, we're talking about NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB. Wow. She played in one of these four, and you're about to find out which one. Okay. Menachrium. <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> was born February 24th, 1972. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. She's only 11 years older than me. In Lac Beauport, Quebec, Canada, to parents Nicole and Pierre Rheum. <laughs> uh, Manon came from an athletic family Her father played hockey and rode horses And her mom was a swimmer and a skier She was the middle child of three kids um, She was sandwiched between two brothers Aww. Her older brother was Martin And her younger brother was named Pascal And they loved to play ball hockey in their basement And then their dad made a little makeshift ice skating rink In the backyard and they would play hockey out oh, there Oh that is so cool uh, Manon was three when she started playing with her brothers on the skating rink. And she would often play goalie because nobody wanted to be goalie. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, no one wanted to be goalie. I remember playing uh, roller hockey in. <laughs> and, and were I, they like, Amanda's goalie? <laughs> yeah. Fucking hated being goalie. Because, you know, like you could block 17 shots. You let one in and everybody hates you for the rest exactly. of the day. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> So (laughs) their hometown was actually a real big ski town, but there wasn't a hockey rink in sight. So Pierre, Manon's father, he owned a construction company and he decided to build one for the town. Wow. Okay. And Pierre became known as basically the town hockey coach. (laughs) 
And he started a little... Did the town want hockey or did Pierre want (laughs) hockey? (laughs) Pierre definitely wanted hockey. And he started a youth league. And of course, his kids were going to be in the youth league. Um, And it was a boys league. Uh, Manon's brother, Martin, was seven when he started playing in the league. And Pascal was four when he was allowed to join the team. But But Manon was not allowed to play because she was a girl. Of course. <laughs> in like the late 70s. Pierre's coaching style was really big on technique and skill. So when the youth would join his team, he would teach them puck skills and skating skills, like stopping and going and so on and so forth. But they didn't really scrimmage. Hmm. So when they first started playing in tournaments, there was no one to be a goalie. Oh, no. (laughs) Manon was five years old at the time, and she was like, Dad, please let me play. Please let me play. I'll play goalie. I play play goalie all the time. (laughs) And her father was like, okay, okay, I'll let you play, but no one can know you're a girl. So he had her get completely decked out in all of her pads, uniform, even her helmet, before she ever left the locker room so that when she stepped out on the ice, no one knew she was a girl. And she started playing goalie. Wow. Her talent was immediately recognizable. And as soon as she started playing, it was like, no, this isn't a hobby. This isn't for fun. This is what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. In Canada, so I had to look this up because I didn't know much about it. It's Hockey is a lot like... um, football in terms of like and I think baseball has the same thing where there's like ranks that you rise in as you get older so like you know you don't you have like peewee league and stuff like that so in Canada here are the levels this is important because she (laughs) is going to try to get through all of these yeah and she you know it's going to be tough so in the first level it's called initiation and though that's for kids ages five and six Okay. Then novice are kids that start at age seven. There's the Adam League, A-T-O-M, which starts at nine. Pee-wee starts at age 11. Bantam at age 13. The unfortunately named Midget at age 15. And then the Junior Leagues at age 18. And the Junior Leagues is a big fucking deal. That's a lot of phases. It is. And you have to try out to get to each of these levels. Mm -hmm. Like... Anybody can be like in the initiation phase, but like to get into novice, you have to pass a certain skill level. To get into Adam, you have to pass a certain skill level to be able to go up these ranks. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the junior leagues, the reason why that's a big deal is like that is if you're an exceptional junior league player, you can go directly from juniors into professional. Wow. Or you can get drafted to be in a college. Like it's a big deal because you start at age 18 in the junior leagues. You're an adult. Yeah. So the problem for Manon was that girls weren't allowed to play. There was no league. There was no ranking for girls. And still nobody knows that she's playing at this point. By this point, eventually she has taken off her helmet. Yeah. And people start to notice. And so in order for her to continue up the levels, she had to play on boys teams. And she didn't care that she was playing on boys teams, but other people did. That's so weird. Especially other parents. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't want my son playing with a girl. There was some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, we'll really get into what the parents were had a problem with. Oh, okay. 
So when she got to the atom level, so the next level up beyond atom is the peewee level, which there are big, huge tournaments at the peewee level that are a big deal. So at the atom level, she wanted to hone her skills. So she signed up for a hockey camp. And of course, hockey camps were for boys. Jeez. <laughs> and so when she signed up, they knew she was a girl. So they assumed that she was going into the ringette camp. Have you ever heard of ringette? No. Okay, ringette is a skating sport that uses a straight stick and a hollow rubber ring. And basically, it was an alternative sport that had been designed for girls. You're like pushing a circle around? Mm-hmm. Like a damn train seal? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably a fun game, but like the whole reason it exists is because they wanted to come up with an alternative sport for girls. Okay, because they can't play hockey. Yeah. Okay. And so if you think about it, I mean, I think it's k- kind of similar to the way softball started. You know, like, oh, girls can't play baseball. We're going to make an alternative game that's exactly the same, but uses a different ball. Yeah. So <laughs> so she um, was like, no, I'm here to play hockey. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she stayed and she trained with boys and she gained some really needed skills to continue her rise in hockey. And when she returned to her Adam level team, she helped them win a team championship. Wow. So now she's ready to move up into the Pee Wee Leagues, which is a big deal. Like, now we're really talking serious hockey playing. Mm-hmm. And she tried out for a double-A team, but she was cut. And she and her father, who, again, was also a hockey coach, wholeheartedly believed that she was cut because she was a girl. Mm. So she ended up playing a lower level of Pee Wee instead of the double-A. I think it was just an A team or maybe okay. it was a B team. And she helped lead her team to place first in their region. And this meant that her team would go on to play in the 1984 Quebec International Pee Wee Tournament. Oh, wow. Which is an important and famous tournament that people from all over the world would pay attention to. It was a world tournament. And Manon became the first girl ever to participate in that tournament. Wow. When she moved up to Bantam, she started out playing regularly, like she was playing in every game, always had a little bit of at least one period to play in. But soon her her playing time started to get cut less and less and less time each game. And there was a reason for that. Because the parents were getting more and more upset that she was allowed to play. <laughs> and the coach was like, I guess I have to listen to these parents and they and the well, coach probably cut feeling her time. the pressure and just giving in. Yeah. You want to know why? Why? The parents felt that she was stealing their <gasps> son's playing time. And what was the use of her playing when she couldn't rise up in the ranks and these kids had the shot at going up to the NHL eventually? Wow. And so, they needed the playing time more than she did because she didn't matter. <laughs> that breaks my heart. Yeah. They were like, well, she doesn't have a future in this. Why is she allowed to play? Wow. Like right there is a pivotal moment where she could say, I give up. Mm-hmm. But she didn't. But she didn't. And uh, I mean, she was obviously rightfully fucking pissed that she was like getting her playing time cut. Yeah. Um, by the time she reached the midget level, she's becoming pretty disillusioned with the politics of the sport, with this problem with these parents. 
And this is at the level when everybody's a teenager and her male teammates are just partying Hmm. and they don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And she cares deeply and passionately about this sport. So when she was 17, she said, fuck it. She quit. Wow. She said uh, later on that at that point she had lost her spirit. Yeah. Well, see, that's where my mind went. It's like when all those doors are closing. (laughs) I know. And I mean, just the idea that you know you're good enough to play and they keep cutting you because a boy deserves it more Mm -hmm. just by existing as a boy. And just like when we started our topic, when we first started this episode, it's like they're chips away at that ladder that you're going up Mm -hmm. because that trust is broken because nobody believes in you. Yeah. No one. Well, no one will believe in you enough. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, you're really good for a girl. (laughs) So a year later, she ended up re-entering the sport when she was invited to a hockey camp for women players. She joined a women's team in Sherbrooke, traveling two and a half hours each way to practice and play. Damn. By the end of her first season with them, they won the provincial championship, which is like the state, right? And finished second at nationals. Wow. In 1992, her team repeated this again Um, But they ended up getting third at nationals. But that was enough for Manon to get noticed and added to the roster for the Canadian national women's team for the world championships in Finland. Oh, so there was women's teams in Finland. Well, and there was a, I think this might've been the first Canadian women's Ah, team. Okay. And so there weren't very many choices. Yeah. (laughs) And so she went to these world championships representing Canada and she and another goaltender were switching throughout the tournament until the semifinals when Manon played the goalie full time. And she helped Canada win 8 to 0 against the US and was named the top goaltender of the tournament and she was also named to the 1992 All-Star team. Wow. So she's making pretty good waves. Yeah. So while she's playing in this women's league, she was also practicing with a men's team, the Trois Rivières Dravou. Very good. Tried it so hard. <laughs> which was a team in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. This is just a step away from professionals. This is a big deal. Yeah. And Manon's younger brother, Pascal, also played for the team. In November of 91, the team found themselves in a predicament. Their first string goalie was out with an injury. Their second string goalie had already like gotten in trouble or something. So in the second period of ga- the game, the coach put in third string goalie, Manon Realm to play. Yeah. And this was the first time a woman was allowed to play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League in a game. So I'm wondering if like at this time, are there rules that say no women allowed or is it just a kind of standard of just girls don't play? Yeah, it's just a given. It's like, you know, the NBA. Okay. Yeah. Women aren't not allowed to play, but they're not allowed either. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) So I was wondering, like, if she went and competed and if there was, like, a rule against it, would they be disqualified? But, okay. Unfortunately, this first time playing on such a major level did not go very well. (laughs) Oh, no. She let in three goals in 17 minutes. Oh, no. But what no one knew is that one of those earliest shots had hit her right in the face and it had smashed the cage And it had broken on the inside and had cut her head open. Oh, my God. And she was bleeding profusely. There's like blood all over her face, in her eyes, like in her mouth and in her nose. And she was still playing. 
And she played all the way until the whistle. Jeez. And then as she's leaving the ice, she took off her helmet and everyone was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought like, well, then she showed them what a tough bitch she is, right? Yeah. Like she played through this, but that's not how it was seen. How was it seen? Look, she got hurt. This oh. is why girls can't play. <laughs> wow. And later on when she was asked about this, she was like, well, <laughs> like, does that mean boys don't get hurt? Like, what? If the, if a hockey puck hit them in the face and it shattered their cage and cut them, like... Would he have to be they, sent home? They would be invincible? Like, it wouldn't cut them because they're boys? Like, what difference does it make? Yeah. So, despite this poor performance, she had showed a lot of grit and tenacity, right? And that caught the eye, eye of a man named Phil Esposito. And he was the owner of a a National Hockey League expansion team called the Tampa Bay Lightning. (laughs) As in Tampa Bay, Florida. Yeah? Not an ideal hockey spot. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So she was actually at the moment working as... So she was like not really in hockey a lot at at this point. And she was working as a sports reporter... And her first assignment was to cover the NHL draft in Montreal. And as she's there, Esposito approaches her and is like, hey, I saw your tape. Would you want to come to training camp with us? Wow. And Manolt was one of eight goalies who was invited to come to the training camp and try out for the team. And this ask of his was largely seen as a publicity stunt to garner media attention because they were a new team mm. in a hockey ignorant place. <laughs> but Manon didn't care. And so I want it's to like, share a clip. asking me. <laughs> exactly. To come. So I want to share a clip of her talking about that. Okay. Because that's pretty, I mean, it's a big ask. To me, are you not afraid to look bad or are they just inviting you because you're a girl? And I. I said to myself, I don't care why they're inviting me. So many times in my life, people said no to me because I was a girl. If this time someone giving me a chance to do something and go to the highest level of hockey because I'm a girl, I'm going to take the chance. That was a great clip. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite a stunning woman. She is very, very beautiful. And that was another mark against her, unfortunately, in terms of being another taken thing that's seriously. not her fault. <laughs> In terms of being taken seriously, being as pretty as she was, was a kind of a detriment, right? Like, they looked at her and they were like, oh, this is, she doesn't, she's not a real player. Man. So, I wanted to read this, also another quote that she said about this ask. She said, I didn't want to live my life with regrets. So, I didn't want to not do this. And then 10 years later say, what if I would have done it? The second was that people were saying they only invited me because I was a girl, but I had to prove myself there. It's one thing to be invited, but I still had to go out there and skate and practice with all the attention that I had. It was a lot of pressure, and I think people forget about that. I had to perform so the team didn't look bad, and I didn't look bad. Mm. So much pressure. So much pressure. (laughs) And the coach of this team, his name was Terry Crisp, and he didn't initially know that Phil Esposito was doing this. Phil Esposito owned the team, right? Yeah. And he, as soon when he found out, he was against it. He didn't want he didn't want her to come. Oh. 
And he basically just never interacted with her the entire time she was at training camp. Jeez. She never even knew that he was against it until afterwards. Oh, that must be awkward. Right. <laughs> um, of course, this decision to invite her immediately got the media's attention, which is exactly what Phil Esposito wanted. And from the moment she arrived, she was deluged with media requests. Like the first day of training camp, there were reporters from every newspaper, television station in the entire Tampa Bay region. Plus, she showed up and there was piles of fan mail from all over the world of girls who were so excited to see a girl play hockey. Wow. Which I thought was really neat. That is really neat. And there's that little spark of hang in there. Yep. <laughs> uh, she was really worried that all of this attention would distract from her playing but that it would also mean that she'd be treated differently. Yeah, they're going to be looking at her with a magnifying glass. And so she wanted to be treated the same as other player, but it was kind of a catch-22 because in order for her to be there, she needed this media attention, right? The, mm -hmm. But if the media cared, then people might not take her seriously. So unfortunately, things did not start off well. Okay. The first day of camp was fitness testing. And she had been sent all kinds of really nice gear for Reebok, which she was very excited to wear. <laughs> yeah, Reebok is great stuff. But the airline lost her luggage. Oh, no. So when she showed up, she had nothing to wear. And Esposito sent her to his daughter, who was a size zero. Ooh. Mano was not a size zero. She's not a size zero. And all she had were jean shorts, like cut off jean shorts and a size zero. So um, that's what Manon wear, wears to <laughs> fitness testing. And they also, all of the men on the team have been given a team t-shirt that said, real men wear black. So Ugh. that's the t-shirt <laughs> she's wearing with wear. cut off shorts. <laughs> and of course, she didn't have any athletic shoes because they were in her luggage. So she's wearing dress shoes, cut off denim they shorts. They can't take her to the store and go buy her an outfit. Okay. <laughs> It's you could just go to fucking Walmart, I Walmart mean, go to or Walmart. something, and get her a quick little outfit. Yep. So that's what she was wearing on the first day of fitness testing. Oh, I bet she felt so uncomfortable. Yeah, she said that every time somebody came up to her, she was like, "By the way, they lost my luggage. <laughs> I don't know. I don't look like this. This is what I don't. I don't wear this all the time." <laughs> uh, but despite that, though, she ended up really shining in this initial training camp. During the first day on the ice. So they had like, you know, fitness work beforehand. And she had actually spent the weeks in advance of coming to training camp working out like crazy. Because she wanted to show up in great shape so that she wouldn't be discounted. Mm -hmm. So the first time they get on the ice, they were split up into these teams, these small teams. And she, of course, was working as goalie, playing goalie. And during those that first time on the ice, she didn't allow a single goal in while she was as a goalie. She fought off 14 shots. Whoa. By professional, I mean, other professional NHL players. She was elated when she left the ice. And of course, there was tons of media there. And she headed for her dressing room, which that was another little aside that I read about was like, she couldn't go into the locker room. Yeah. And so everywhere... Everywhere they, they, they went, like, she had her own room, and it was usually, like, the green room where, like, um, a singer might get ready. Oh, no. And it was, like, covered in mirrors, and she's by herself. Uh, 
Like that would just be hard in and of itself yeah. is getting ready by yourself, not with your team. Not with your team. Like, I don't she know if I'd even... want to be in a locker room. I don't know. <laughs> well, I know, but also like there are locker room rituals like where you. True. You know, the, the banter, the camaraderie, the hyping each other up. Yeah. yeah. And even like the like last the last minute pep talk before you go out on the ice. She doesn't get any of that. Jeez. So. um. So as soon as she got to her dressing room, Esposito shows up and is like, hey, you need to come out. There's a press conference. One of the reporters, so she she comes out like drenched in sweat. And one of the reporters is like, so is she going to play in a game? And he, she's like, obviously, no, like I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. But to her surprise, his response was the way she played today, you may just see her in a game. Wow. And that's and she's like, <laughs> yeah, she was. She was like, holy shit. She was like, immediately her legs started shaking. Oh, no. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. Wow. She was invited to play in an exhibition game against St. Louis on September 23rd, 1992. This would be the first time a woman played in a National Hockey League game and the first time a woman played in any of the major professional sports league in all of North America. That is crazy. That's crazy cool. It is really cool. So the other crazy thing is they put her in first. Oh. <laughs> right out the gate. They put her in. That's scary. And um, the St. Louis Blues, the hockey team that they were playing against, came out of the gate immediately with a power play. And the first shot she successfully blocked. but while, And while she was in play, the other team took nine shots and she let through two. So she blocked seven out of nine, which is a pretty good... A pretty good, it's a good ratio, yeah. And when she left the rink, um, the other players on the other team were like, you did great. Congratulations. That's not what I expected. Mm-hmm. And Wendell Young, who was the first string goalie, and he came in to the game after she left and immediately let in the first shot. Oh. <laughs> and the crowd started chanting, put the girl back in. Oh, jeez. <laughs> put the girl back in (laughs) and the team ended up losing that game but there was a huge sense of relief after afterwards Manon had done well she'd proved herself worthy of this chance and it proved that girls could play Mm -hmm. this led to even more media frenzy for her she was invited onto the today show 2020 good morning America she was even on David Letterman oh wow and one of the issues was is that she was very pretty and everybody would ask her all kinds of questions you would never ask a male player. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she was approached by Playboy to do an interview and a photo shoot for $50,000. Ooh, it's a lot of money. She declined. Yeah. But the pressure was immense. And thankfully, her teammates recognize this, and they all say she handled this with grace. In fact, Wendell Young, the other goalie that that she that came in after her, who was the first string goalie, he said this, I think she did an excellent job. She did a much better job than any of the males would have under that kind of microscope. She was hitting a new frontier in hockey, representing women in hockey, and she put it all on her shoulders. Mm. While she was cool as a cucumber in front of the cameras and on the ice, inside the pressure was actually really getting to her. 
She ended up with three stomach ulcers over the course of the next five years. Those are painful. Terrible. Um, Minot was let go from the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, but she was snatched up by their farm team, which is a minor league team, the Atlanta Knights. And for the next six years, she played in the minor leagues on men's teams. Wow. She played in Atlanta, Knoxville, Nashville, Las Vegas, Tallahassee, and Reno. So all over the United States. In 1994, she was actually selected again to join the national team at the Women's World Hockey Championship. And once again, the Canadians won, giving her her third gold medal. And she was also named to the All-Star team again. But uh, people then were like super doubting her. They were like, the only reason she's on this team is because she had all of this media stuff. Mm. It's all a stunt. (laughs) Is her skill a stunt? (laughs) Yeah, people were like, well, she's not even that good. I don't know. It was really shitty. Yeah. People were shitty. And for a brief stint, she actually played roller hockey. <laughs> and she met a man named Jerry St. Cyr, who was also uh, an ice hockey player as well. He played roller hockey and ice hockey. And they um, married and uh, ended up having two sons together. But they didn't. They divorced um, relatively quickly after they were together. So this year that she marries Jerry, um, that's the same year that the Olympics finally included women's hockey in their winter sports. Mm. And Manon was named to the Canadian team. She played in the final championship, which was for the gold medal against the United States. Unfortunately, the Canadians lost to the U.S. I mean, not unfortunate for us, but (laughs) (laughs) but the moment was still historic and that means that she played on the first women's team to have an Olympic medal-winning game. Yeah. And she won a silver medal. Cool. After that season was over, Manoa and her husband had their first child. She decided to take a break while she was pregnant and nursing her son. And that's yeah, when she said Playing starts, hockey pregnant probably would be. I'm wondering if she wasn't actually pregnant in that, in that oh, o- yeah. Olympic match. Maybe. Because when I was looking at the timeline, I was like, I think she might have been pregnant. <laughs> Um, She took up coaching for a bit. She was helping out the women's team at the University of Minnesota. And then she tried out again in 1999 for the 2000 Canadian Olympic team, but she didn't make the cut that time. And so she decided it was probably time to retire from hockey. And she was actually hired by a company called Mission Hockey to be the head of global marketing for women's hockey. Nice. And that meant she got to continue impacting the sport and helped develop the first set of hockey skates designed specifically for girls and women. That's really cool. She went on to help them design all kinds of gear that fit women's bodies. Nice. Well, she knows. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) After leaving Mission Hockey, she still went on to like impact girls hockey. And in 2008, she actually started her own foundation, the Manon Rayon Foundation, and every year they provide scholarships to girls under 19 to help them achieve their athletic dreams. That's awesome. She came out of retirement. She could not leave hockey. <laughs> she came out of retirement. She and loves it. I know. It's clearly her life, her passion. Yeah. She played in the Western Women's Hockey League and um, played for the Minnesota Whitecaps, the Port Huron Icehawks, and the Flint Generals. Eventually, though, her playing days were over as far as professional or minor league. She didn't leave hockey behind, obviously. She is currently, at this moment in time, the director for the girls' youth program for the Little Caesars Hockey Club in Michigan, which is part of the Detroit Red Wings youth hockey program. Nice. Love the Detroit Red Wings. (laughs) Right? 
Hockey is obviously in her blood, not only by her own legacy, but also those of her family members. I was wondering about that, yeah. Remember I said her brother, Pascal, played mm-hmm. on the same team when she was younger? Yeah. Well, he went on to play in the NHL, and he played throughout the 90s. And he's now the head coach of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League team. That's really cool. The same league that she got the opportunity to play in and made history. Her son, Dylan Realm, currently plays hockey for Notre Dame. And her other son, Dakota, is 14, and he competes in club hockey in Michigan. Oh, that's really cool. In 2017, um, there was a movie in the works made about her called Between the Pipes that was telling her life story. And it was actually based on the autobiography that she wrote about her life in 1993. So she obviously had an impact not just on girls and on hockey, but girls in all sports. Mm -hmm. And that's what her legacy really is. I mean, she broke down barriers that no woman thought possible, and those barriers still haven't been broken by any other woman. She'll always be a a note in the history books Mm -hmm. as the first woman to play in any of the four major sports leagues. She will, um, but I hope that because we're talking about her today, will also recognize that this should be going on again. Like mm-hmm. her legacy shouldn't have shouldn't go along with her. Like we need to it was 27 years ago or something that she did this. It's within a, her lifetime. Yeah. It's, but it's still long enough ago that like there should have been another since then. Yeah. There should be a woman who's playing in MLB. There should be someone who's playing on the NHL teams. Mm-hmm. In 2015 the National Women's Hockey League was formed in the United States. And that was technically the first professional hockey league for women because it was the first league that paid women athletes to play hockey. That's awesome. 2015. Jeez. 2015. In their opening game, the very first game, she was the one to drop the puck. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's (laughs) fucking epic. (laughs) So I want to leave you with Manon's words. And this is her talking about her legacy and what it means for girls today. It took me years to realize the impact that I had. It's been like 26, 27 years now, and no woman done that yet. And not even just in hockey, but in the four major sports. I want to see you wash the puck from earth sticks to your gear or to your glove. Now I had a chance to give back to the sports. I'm part of the Detroit Red Wings youth program, the Little Caesar, and oversee the girls program. I love coaching. I enjoy the young girls being part of their journey. You go back and battle and get that puck, okay? I think what I like more right now is to be able to tell my story and inspire other people. When I started, I was the only girl playing. Now you see professional league and you see the national team. You see girls getting full ride scholarship to play hockey. Seeing everything that is achieved, it's pretty amazing. Very cool. She's very, um, her, the way that she delivers her words is very compelling. She seems very genuine, very smart, but very like kind of cool on the, on the outside. Well, you know, what's interesting Um, When she first started playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning, she barely spoke English. Really? You know, because Quebec is a French province. True. You know, most people speak 
French. <laughs> yeah. And that was her primary language. She did not speak much English. Wow. And to have to be in front of all of those cameras when you're, she was like, I think 20, maybe. Oof. When that happened. Because she played in the 1992 game and she was born in 1972. So yeah. she was 20 years old. And that would be pretty frightening to be a 20 year old girl and not in speak, another country. Yeah, in another country, not speaking the language, doing something no one else has ever done. Yeah. And everybody's watching you do it. <laughs> so there was one quote I didn't include because I wasn't sure if I wanted to, but I really want to get your opinion. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> One of the things when I grew up playing hockey that was really important to my mom when she allowed me to play hockey with the boys was that I stay a girl, that I stay feminine. She made sure that if all the boys were getting big hockey jackets that my grandma was knitting me a sweater that would match the team with a cute little hat that would match the team and that I was different than everybody else as far as the way I dressed. She wanted me to stay a girl and it stuck with me. I've always been feminine even if I was playing a mostly male sport. That was important to me. I think people were writing about this because they were expecting a big girl looking like a boy, walking like a boy, dressing like a boy, and playing hockey like a boy. So because I wasn't like that, I think that's the reason why they were mentioning it, her beauty, right? Mm-hmm. That's the number one comment I get from, from someone when they find out I play hockey. You don't look like a hockey player. So my response is, what should a hockey player look like? So I hear that all the time, and I think it's from the stereotype that people expect a girl who plays hockey to look like a boy. So it's a surprise to find out I didn't look like a boy. Hmm. I mean, it's the valid, I like her retort of what should a hockey player look like? It's like, what, what, are, what is your standard then? What, what am I not to you? I like that too. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the rest of that? The expecting a big girl and looking like a boy kind of thing. All of it. All I of mean, it. even like her mom making sure she didn't have oh, the same clothes. I 100% believe that that happened because her, not to blame her mother or anything, but like, I'm sure her mother was probably very feminine and she wanted to present her daughter like that because her daughter mm -hmm. was doing something that wasn't feminine. So it probably scared her a little bit. Maybe a fear for her child of like, being different, don't be different, you know, in that way, still look like a girl, still look like a girl. Yeah, there was, I mean, to me, there's so much wrapped up in that whole quote. Mm -hmm. There's so much misogyny built into it. And um, this pressure to like look in, a certain internalized way. Internalized misogyny about like, and also this like pressure to be feminine mm -hmm. Because you play a, bo a sport that's traditionally for boys. I mean, there's just so much going on there as far as the expectation of gender roles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it just, it like, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like that. Like, I think it's great that she likes being feminine and likes looking feminine and acting feminine. There's nothing wrong with being femme. It seems like that's her choice though. But... Yeah. As long as it's her choice, but it seems like, at the beginning, it probably wasn't her mm -hmm. choice. And I think that that itself is difficult. You know, like how... I wonder if some of the magic of hockey was that when she put all of that gear on, couldn't tell either side. Mm -hmm. That couldn't. probably was magic. 
Couldn't tell if she was a boy. Couldn't tell if she was a girl. Couldn't tell that she was as beautiful as she is. She was just a hockey player. And I know that she liked that aspect that like she wanted to be seen as a legit, talented, skilled hockey player. And so that when I saw that quote, I was like, I don't know, that's so out of character. Mm -hmm. And it just. There's a lot wrapped up in it. Yeah. A lot to ponder. When I was growing up, my aunt lived next door, my mom's sister, and they were very close. But my mom was hypercritical of my aunt, as she was me too, like, mm-hmm. you know. But she would constantly criticize the way that my aunt dressed, how she wore her hair, um, every choice she made. And like her, my aunt's standard outfit was like leggings and like a sweater, mm-hmm. which now is like everybody, that's what everybody wears. <laughs> yeah. But my mom just thought it was you're walking around in pajamas. You look like a, you know, she always called her like names and stuff. Like she was sloppy and mm-hmm. she looked like a slob and she was this and she was that. And there was just this pressure that she was supposed to look a certain way. And it, I, I remember very acutely that, that that's how she would treat me too. Like I was her doll mm-hmm. that she could dress up. And so when I read that, that made me uncomfortable. I was like, Maybe you wouldn't have been a high femme person growing up if you hadn't been forced to be. Yeah. Like if the boys were wearing this jacket. What's a jacket's not gendered. It's yeah, just a fucking a jacket. jacket. <laughs> oh, but you had to have a cute little sweater instead. That was her her mother trying to put her in a mold. Yeah, it was real and I think that like one of the reasons why my mom would always dress me up and do my hair or whatever in certain ways was because she thought it reflected well on her. Mm-hmm. Like how I looked mattered because it reflected on her. And I think that's the same thing she thought about her sister. When people would find out they were sisters, my God, the the problems that would come with that because they would look at her and see, Oh, Linda must <laughs> my be a God, slob. It goes so deep. And that really, um, you know, when I got, I remember once, you know, the nineties, yeah. Grunge was the thing. And the like the best thing you could do was go to like a thrift store and find like the most unique item, right? Yeah. And I remember I went to our local thrift store to buy some stuff cuz I wanted some cool old flannels. Like some old guy let <laughs> let his flannels go. <laughs> I wanted them. And my mom was like, "Oh my god, what if people saw you?" I was like, "At the thrift store?" She was like, yes, then they would think things about us. Like, I couldn't afford to take oh, you shopping. Oh, that is so ingrained. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares where I buy my clothes? I'm a teenager. <laughs> I was very much forced to do the the, the hair. I, I think one of the biggest banes of my existence was my mother doing my hair. It was like trying to catch a wet cat. <laughs> I was just like not having it. And I remember just like the the heating products that they would use or like my mom would use to smooth out my curly hair. And I just remember it burns on mm. the forehead, burns on my ear. Um, I took photos one time um, 
one of my aunts took me for like a, a photo session or something. And I remember her having like my head over the bathtub and she was washing my hair and there's like this really hot water and she was curling oh. it. And it just, it wasn't me, mm-hmm. but it was just, it was very aggressive and it wasn't my choice at the time. And I didn't like it. And I, I think that does a lot of damage yeah. at a young age. You know, I really struggled for a long time and I still struggle to this day about the ideas of femininity and, and mm-hmm. things like that because I I just don't like I don't like being thought that I should wear a certain things because that's this identity or whatever. There was this uh, uh, memory that I have <laughs> of uh, it stuck in my head just when we were talking about it. It stuck in my head. We were going to a Christmas um at our church when I was a kid. Like a Christmas they, program. Like a Christmas program. Yeah. I wasn't performing in it. My class wasn't performing in it. It was like a play kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I had these really awesome white and blue acid wash jeans that were my favorite. <laughs> and I had this um pink like knitted sweater, but it was really it was really big, like a big knitted sweater. And I I felt comfortable in that outfit. And I put it on and my mom was like, you're not wearing that. She's like, you're not wearing jeans to church. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to wear it. And she pulls out this dress. And you know those dresses that had all the flowers, like a little bit of a poof sleeve and oh, then yeah. like lace on the collar. Oh, yeah. And she was like, I want you to wear this. And I remember it was like white and purple and blue and just, and I knew that if I had to wear that, I had to wear tights because dear God, if someone saw your bare legs. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to wear that and got in this huge fight with my mother. And finally, she was just like, we're going to be late. I don't care. Wear that. And I was so happy because I was going to be able to wear what I wanted to wear. And I got to the church and I went to go sit with my friends. Every single one of those girls was wearing a dress like that. Yep. And I felt like stupid. Yep. And they all laughed at me and they're like, what are you wearing? And they were all done up and they had the tights on. They had the dress. And so I went to go sit with my family And my mom put her hand so I couldn't sit down. And she says, you chose that. You go deal with it. Sit with your friends. And I went and had to sit with them and just felt, it was terrible. It was a terrible moment in my life. (laughs) I've just felt like so other. Yeah. But then I like that brief moment. I was happy because I was wearing what you wanted to wear. Me. Yeah. Oh, man. Being a girl is hard. And being, I, I would say not even just being a girl, being being a person who is being forced to conform to a look or an idea of a look mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like it fits who you are. Yeah. That moment really hurt me, I think, because when I asked my mom, I said, please, I said, I don't want to sit over there because I'm embarrassed. And she said, deal with it. That was her revenge. Yep. <laughs> I want to do, I, I want to tell you where I got my information from. The NHL did a five-part series on uh, this moment of her playing in this NHL game in 2012, and it was put on by, uh, it was written by Arpan Basu. The video where I got the clips is called Hockey is for Her, which I really love the name of that, and that was put on by the Little Caesars Hockey Youth Program that she runs. There was also another NHL article I used by Tracy Myers from 2019. Manon Rayom's story, here from the first NHL player by Jamie Edmonds for the Click on Detroit website. Manon Rayom realizes her NHL debut was not just another game. 
by Christina Rutherford for sportsnet.ca, the Canadian Encyclopedia, encyclopedia.com, and Manon Rayom's NHL, NHL's first female goalie continues to inspire by Jeremy Fuchs for Sports Illustrated. Thank you so much. That was a fascinating story. You're welcome. And I did not know her. And I should have. I didn't and I either. Do <laughs> I was like, wait, there was a woman who played in one of the major sports leagues? What? <laughs> okay. Your turn. Well, once again, we kind of hit on the same vein. Well, that's exciting. I know. It seems to happen. <clears throat> so today I'm going to be talking about Timber Tina. T- Timber Tina? Timber Tina. There's, it like sounds like it's a character in like a, a manga or something. Okay, I don't know her. <laughs> she is a world champion lumberjill and founder of the first all woman world champion lumberjill group. Wow, <laughs> I have a friend who's a lumberjill and is going to be very excited because she listens to our podcast oh, every that week. Is so cool! I wonder if she knows who Timbertina is. I'll have to ask her when she hears the episode. Well, Tina Shearer, but known as Timbertina, was born on November 17th in 1960 in Hayward, Wisconsin. Uh, she was the youngest of six children born into a logging family. Oh, well, that is building up success in the <laughs> logging world for you. Lumberjill it is. <laughs> so she was raised in the woods, so she was no stranger to like hiking, fishing, climbing, um, logging, and boating. She was very much a lover of the woods. She loves being outside. Their home was located also where the Lumberjack World Championships were held. And so they were. <laughs> I would love perfect. to see that. After going through this, I'm like, I want to go and see a Lumberjack competition at Lumberjack and Jill. I, I've, I've seen like clips from them whenever I've, you know, I've been like traveling and they've been on like the hotel TV or whatever. And I've been like, whoa, that's yeah, cool. It's intense. So they would actually go and see the championship annually, like her entire family. And her mother, Joanne, signed her and all of her siblings up to start learning logging sports. So luckily, (laughs) her mother was supportive. supportive. (laughs) She started log rolling and axe throwing when she was seven years old. (laughs) Could you imagine a seven-year-old log rolling? Oh, you went with a log roll. Mm-hmm. That seems. Oh, the re- axe is fine. The axe is totally acceptable for a seven-year-old. But log rolling? <laughs> How Can dare you she? Imagine rolling a log with your feet. So this is a that quote is, from- is that what log rolling is? Is where they stand out on their feet? And it they, is, it and rolls it's in, in the water. It's in water. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. But then I was like, wait, is it just literally rolling the log <laughs> with your hands? I don't know. I think that's Scottish Highland Games where they throw the yeah, throw they- the timber. Yeah, Scottish Highland games are also fun. They're to watch. also very fun. So she said, as little kids, that's all we ever did. We would log roll every day and all summer long. <laughs> Could you imagine the fun and freedom of that? Of like playing with her siblings on this fucking log? I would love to push my sister off a log. <laughs> Which one? Which sister? No, I'm not going there. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Later on, you'll tell me. Later on, I'll tell you. So I she- think I know. <laughs> <laughs> she gives credit to some of the older axemen that were there at the competitions. They took her and her siblings under their wings and they taught them how to cross cut, which is the um the, the big... two handled big giant saw. And do you do that? Is that like a pair? One you can do on a, one side. You can do a single or you can do a double. So you... in the single, do you just run from each side or is there a different is it shorter a shorter? Uh, it's saw? actually the angle that you get cutting into the wood. But is it 
do you run from one side to the other to the two handles or is it a no, shorter they take the handle saw. off of one side and you still use the whole saw oh yeah i know um, i was like what happened to the other handle <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, when she was 17, her and her brothers started a public access TV show. <laughs> they were going to demonstrate logging sports. Could you imagine this idea of these kids being like, we're going to start our own show? Hon I would watch that. Honestly, my goal when I was a kid, my yeah. dream. Be on public access. Can I tell you a brief story? Sure. <laughs> so the Mickey Mouse Club, you know, like the new version that had Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera on it and all yeah. that stuff. They were doing a competition um for kids to like make a music video and send it in oh and i was determined <laughs> that i was going to do this so i like made flyers my aunt owned the radio station and put me on the radio and i was like a call for auditions and i just decided i was gonna do this myself and we were gonna use my parents vhs camcorder <laughs> and like 30 or 40 kids showed up and i was like I don't actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, no. And that music video never got made. And no. It was heartbreaking for me. I really well, needed an know. adult to help me out. <laughs> were they pissed at you? Well, parents came and they were like, What's You're in on? charge? <laughs> and oh, they didn't, no. Yeah, it was kind of humiliating, but at the same time, <laughs> the same time, I was like, I was a go-getter, okay? <laughs> I just needed one adult to be just on my take side. Off, just take off running down the road. <laughs> I basically was like, oh, God, I've bitten off way more than I can chew this time. <laughs> That's an awesome story. Oh, friend fact for the day. So, yeah, her and her brothers start this logging sports uh, show on public access. They were using it as a way to, of course, draw attention to themselves, but draw attention to tourism in their area because mm. their town is a very touristy town. Hayford. Yeah. Is that right? Hayward. Hayward. Hayward, Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, they were actually also drawing attention to the Lumberjack World Championship, like advertising that for them to get people to come and watch the competitions. Tina said that her role was to play the little sister role, and she did that. They did this show for 15 years. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That's like our podcast. <laughs> so her and her brothers decided to take this show on the road. So they bought a truck, they bought a trailer, and they left. They started traveling and competing at different logging expos and living out of their trailer. They were able to turn their hobby into a year-long profession so they were actually making money at this now well yeah if you're traveling you gotta pay that expenses so tina and her brothers were visiting uh bar bar harbor maine is it bahaba bahaba let's <laughs> try my everybody best. who's a mainer is, is like bahaba. pissed at us right now <laughs> i said it okay, twice <laughs> so bahaba maine <laughs> i think if you just say bar harbor they will be less pissed <laughs> bar harbor <laughs> But you, it's like it's like that's one of those like maining mainer names that you're like, no, it's definitely Bar Harbor. Yeah, so I was like, I don't want to say Bar Harbor <laughs> and not give Bar it a, Harbor. Bar Harbor. They were visiting this area in the summer of early 1970. So this place is booming with tourism from the Acadia National Park. Have you yep. heard of that park? Mm -hmm. You know, guess, Abby spent a summer in Maine. She told me about that. Yeah, yeah she told me about the lobster that the lobster yeah. was just out of this world. Yeah. I And we have a goal someday to go to Acadia because it's gorgeous. I heard it's beautiful. I guess the logging history there runs really deep. It's the birthplace of Paul Bunyan. 
Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) Uh, Tita fell in love with the woods in the area there. So she ended up purchasing with her own money 35 acres of land. How old is she? At this time, it's 1970. So she was born in... She was born in 60. So she's 10? No, 1960. No, maybe I got that time. Like, no, you're right. I was like, she's 10 and bought land. I don't think that's legal. No, I think she's, I probably got the year wrong. She's probably in her early 20s, maybe so close maybe to 30. 28, and maybe it's 1980. Yeah. So this place, she's just in love with it. She starts a new project there. So she's sinking all of her money into this. She built, promoted, and created Timber Tina's Great Maine Lumberjack Show. <laughs> The show runs a little over an hour. It showcases 12 different lumberjack sports, such as the log rolling, which is, I guess you start on a really big log. Yes. And then they make the logs smaller mm-hmm. and you have to not be able to fall until they get smaller and smaller and faster and faster. That seems like, who came up with this? <laughs> I mean, lumberjacks, lumberjacks obviously. obviously. There's underhand chopping. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, what's underhand So this is like a log that's probably about three and a half, four feet long and probably about a foot wide. Okay. You stand on it and you have both your feet on both sides and you chop from underneath. And the goal is Like from between your legs? From between your legs. So they're hacking at this log when their feet are literally like two inches away from this axe. (gasps) And it's underhand chop. So you're going kind of towards the ground and towards... um, like behind you. Yeah. And the goal is to get through that log as fast as possible. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds a little dangerous. They do pole climbing, which is like the speed pole climbing oh, yeah. with mm-hmm. the nails in their shoes and then the leather rope. And that goes to about 60 feet high. And they run and scale up those. I definitely want to see this. And they do axe throwing. So this mm-hmm. is not a hatchet throwing. It's a yeah, full it's a on full axe. axe, which I've been hatchet throwing many times. It's exhausting. I would kill myself if I tried to throw an axe. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I w- it would just go directly in the ground in front of me. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, whoopsies. And the standard is the target is 20 feet away. <gasps> 20 feet? 20 feet. That and the is... target is about the size of a melon, like the, the bullseye. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I could not do that. I don't think I could do that either. I think Abby could do it. They also do the cross-cut sawing, the Jack and Jill, so two-sided and then a one person on the other side. And then they do this thing called a power hot sawing, and the hot sawing is chainsaw. And then they called them, it was like a souped-up chainsaw. They call it stock saw cutting. I don't know what that is. They will make their own chainsaw like they'll soup it up they'll add other parts and like extra carburetor so that it'll go faster no and so then That's they can speed bad saw. idea it's a bad idea <laughs> and speed sawing is you've got a log and you've got whoever can do it the fastest and i think it has to be an inch cut once and twice and thrice over this big giant log thrice yes <laughs> <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> Once, twice, twice thrice, thrice times a lady. Amanda's losing her mind, y'all. <laughs> but yeah, the power hot sighing is little, it's intense and it's loud. Don't soup up a chainsaw. It's just a good life rule. Don't do that. It's a terrible idea. So I'm going to share a clip with Amanda. It's a clip of uh, Timbertina talking. I kind of just want Amanda. I love that alliteration. 
I want Amanda to see kind of her personality. I think you can really see who she is in this clip. Here we are. It's only thirteen dollars for adults, eight for kids, and under four is free. Yeah. We're the most reasonably priced entertainment or activity you can do in the Bar Harbor area. Okay. But during the day, we run lessons out here. Like you're gonna show me today, right? Yeah. Well, so we make, we do so lessons. The viewers can come do this if you want to. She'll show, show you how to throw an axe. You can be a lumberjack. Log rolling, all kinds of stuff. That's awesome. And that, yeah. that you said earlier that was uh, about ten dollars per person for a group of six, it's right? It's ten dollars a person for yeah. a group of six. You can't beat that. Yeah. And you tell me where else in the world you're gonna learn log rolling walking off the street. I mean, I, where can you go learn log rolling? Is there even another place? I don't think so. <laughs> but I really like to share my sport with people. Do you think I'm gonna? So you can see she's kind of a kooky lady. <laughs> you guys, she has like the bleachest blonde hair you've ever seen. She's directly out of a white snake video from 1988, <laughs> but it is 2020. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty great. So throughout her show, Tina is the host and with her crew, they explain each sport, how it relates to lumbering in Maine um, about 100 to 250 people attend every show, and which runs, she says, rain or shine. So she's like, I ain't stopping shit. <laughs> I, I would definitely not want to do log rolling in the rain or um, the, the fast chainsaw one. That sounds really like a bad idea in yeah. the rain. Did you see the size of the log that she was on? The one that she was log rolling? That she rolling? was log rolling on? Yeah. So they actually will do that in twos. So one will be on one side and one will be on the other and you duel it out, and what you're trying to do is knock the other person off. So they'll like jump up and down on the log, and the other girl has to try to keep her balance. Yeah, that's a no for me. <laughs> I would love to watch that, though. Oh, it was fun as hell to watch. So Tina's show premiered in 1995 and has become one of the number one logging sports entertainment competitions. Tina now has not only traveled nationally, but internationally, performing at fairs, festivals, shows, private functions, corporate events, and more. She admitted that when she would travel, she was super disappointed by the competitions because there was little to sometimes no other women there. I, I can see that. So Tina decided she wanted to change that. So as long as, along with debuting her show, she debuted her group of professional lumberjills who she trained that she calls Chicks with Axes. <laughs> <laughs> they are the first all-woman group in the logging sports entertainment industry. Her group actually nabbed a sweet sponsorship from AEG Power Tools, and so they're all getting paid. Good. <laughs> it took the Women's Hockey League until 20 motherfucking 15 to get paid, <laughs> oh, but axe throwing chicks gets paid. <laughs> the Lumberjills offer a variety of demonstrations, including 30-minute performances, like lessons, demos, public speaking, one of her girls um, went for like one of the longest uh, log rolling times. She was on that thing for 45 minutes. I yeah. couldn't do anything for 45. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time to do something pretty strenuous. And myself, like for personally, I was like, where does all the wood go? Because I thought that's a lot of wood. Yeah. So I guess Tina does a little side business. She bundles them up and she sells them to the campsites. So the wood gets the, used by the campers. Like firewood? Yeah. All right. What about the wet wood? Dry it out. Okay. All right. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, in 2006, Tina was selected to be on Survivor Panama. Oh. Her only son, Charlie, 
actually pushed for her to do this. He was like, mom, your personality, you're great. You're fun. Just like, just send a video. So she said, she said it was like a stupid video. She was like, I'm going to chop through the competition. Like she was just <laughs> hamming it up big time. And she got, she got on there. So she was super shocked. Um, but a week before she was supposed to leave for Panama, her son, Charlie was killed. Yeah. Oh no. He was killed in a car accident. And Tina was like, obviously devastated. She decided though, because Charlie wanted her to do this so bad, she still went and she still did the competition. I think I watched that season because I think that's the season that um, there was this bearded giant man who was on and I really liked him. I can't remember his name, but I, I'm pretty sure I watched that season. I don't know what the season was number wise, but it was Survivor Panama. Do you, did it say who won? I didn't see who won. No. I, I swear to God, I watched that season because I think that's the season that this big guy was on that who was like a big teddy bear. And I think <laughs> I remember them being friends. Really? But I could be completely oh, well, look wrong. It up. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I've only watched like two or three Survivor seasons of my life. And I think I watched the Panama one. <laughs> I've watched one season. It was the first season. And I think the reason I think I remember her because I remember her talking about her son dying. Oh, OK. Yeah. Like, there's a vague recollection in the back of my mind about it. She ended up going. She didn't win, obviously, but she figured she wanted to do this for Charlie because he wanted her to go so badly. So after appearing on Survivor, Tina was featured in Sports Illustrated. Mm. She's featured in Women's Sport and Fitness. And right now, currently, she is among a group of competitors in a show called Ultimate Survivor Alaska which is a new endurance show being shown on the National Geographic channel. So I got my information from lumberjills.com, imbd, cbs.com, mainlumberjack.com, and a wonderful article called The Story Behind Maine's T Timbertina by Rosemary Lauser for the Banger Metro. And the video was provided by Timbertina's Great Maine Lumberjack Show on YouTube. <laughs> You know, I have a friend in Montana named Amber, and her Instagram handle is Saw Maiden. Oh, that's nice. And she is, she like, it runs her own construction company. She's a fucking badass. Nice. And I bet she would be perfect for that. She's been on reality TV, too. She was oh. on The Colony. Ooh. Uh, quite some time ago. But yeah, I mean, like, I would love to put her in touch with Timbertina and... <laughs> And I can be like, that's my friend. <laughs> she seems to have gotten a taste for entertaining, like from doing the TV show with her brothers and then doing Survivor and then doing this other one. Well, but her, her actual show is an entertainment and show. Her so, like, entertainment show. Her whole job is to be an entertainer. One of the things that was crazy about like watching these competitions with these lumberjills is the crosscut where there's two. Yeah. Because um, basically they're going through this big giant log and as they're sawing... You know, their feet are about three feet apart. They go down into a full-on squat <gasps> and they're going back and forth using their entire body for the better part of two minutes. I'm like, do you imagine how much leg strength you would need to do that? So what you're saying is my years of dancing in the club 
would really help me be a lumber chill. It would. Because <laughs> I used to get low, get low. <laughs> now I'm old and I don't do anything. But maybe I could start hitting the club again and then make my way to lumber jail competitions. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a girl's vacation and go watch a lumber jail competition. Let's go to Let's go to Bahaba, Bahaba Maine. <laughs> Go to the lumber jill We'll get show. some lobster. <laughs> Everybody who's listening to this from Maine, you can you can go ahead and send us hate mail. And we'll, on that we'll note, <laughs> on that note, thank you for listening to our very kind of goofy episode, episode forty nine. Woo! Um, you will no you will no longer be able to vote for us on the Inlanders best of. So wish us luck. Check mm-hmm. back, see if we won. And we thank crossed. you for listening. <laughs> Thank you also to Lucas. Thank you, Lucas. And to Jennifer Finch of L7 for our wonderful theme music. And we thank you. All right, guys. Till next time. Bahaba. 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 <laughs> oh my God, stop it. Okay, I'm done. <laughs>